Welcome, everybody, to this Trainwreck Sports Podcast, where we are here to pay the bills. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's get it started right away. Jake Micah, as joined by my co-host, Mike Partham, Maniac jumping in, and Intern Carson. We're here. We've got the squad together, swerving while we driving, uh, and really just, we needed to bring in a... We need to have a, a safe space, Serenity Now event session. It's Bill's Festivus. It's time to air the grievances. That's really all we could do today. And Mike, I feel like we need to start with Mike, who has just been despondent. Literally, since we opened we opened the stream, Mike joined in, and he hasn't said a word to us at all. He's just been sitting there, head down, for about 25 minutes. So, Mike, we've been, we've been waiting to hear from you. How are you doing? Well, let's just say there's a lot of good content creators out there that I personally know that we're all fans of. And they specialize in a lot of things. You know, uh, some guys have a lot of insightful uh, commentary, such as maybe Sal Capaccio of WGR 550 or uh, Bruce Nolan of uh, the Buffalo Rumblings Network. There are some guys who specialize in uh, all 22 breakdowns, like uh, our guys uh, Aaron and Greg over at Cover One, or maybe uh, uh, Pat Moran or uh, Joe Marino at Lockdown Bills. And there's another guy out there, a personal friend of mine, uh, Drew from the Rock Power Report. And one of his specialties is the airing of the grievances annually around Christmas time. Well, guess what? We're not waiting for goddamn Christmas time. We're airing the damn grievances now. We got a lot of problems with the bills, and now they're going to hear about them if they haven't already this week from everybody else that has a podcast and a radio show. So let's go. That's perfectly set up. What, how, are you, how are you feeling, Carson? I mean, I I don't even know where to start because during the whole game, I never thought like there was never real doubt in my mind we were gonna lose the football game. It was just kind of kind of laughable how bad we were playing. I'm like, okay, just another game, we'll figure it out, we'll sneak it out and get the win. And then 
me and a few buddies had a real close fantasy football matchup going on. So I was more focused on that in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, once the matchup got out of hand and like Denver was driving in that last drive, like I started to get really nervous. Obviously, they missed the field goal. I got so hyped. I don't think I've ever came down from such a high to a low so fast. And I like I was just mad for the next half hour, led into you know the next day. But I, I'm a little I'm simmered down a little bit more, but there's a lot of problems still. I, it, it's gonna be a fun one today. Maniac, you had a great train wreck tonight episode yesterday with Chris Tracasso where you guys aired aired some grievances, but I feel like we've had some we had, saw another day of uh Interview availability, Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, Von Miller talking to the media. We've heard from national media, Rob Gronkowski, Stephen A. Smith always jumping in. Um, it's been it's been a couple of days, so we wanted to get this live up here right away to kind of just get all our thoughts out. So how are you feeling another day removed from uh, from the loss on Monday night? You know, anytime the Bills win, I can't wait to hear these guys talking during the week. Can't wait to hear the updates. Can't wait to hear, you know, the jibber-jabber back and forth. But now I feel like the Bills' parents. It's like, I don't want to hear any more words. I want to see actions. I am not going to believe any more words. I want to see actions. And speaking of being a parent, Carson, confident that whole game that we were going to win it, my sweet summer child. I mean, everyone from the drought knew that we were going to lose that game some way, somehow. And not only did they do it, like you said, they lost it in the most painful way imaginable. I didn't even get to celebrate because I watched the field goal go just wide. And I look down and that ref right below the, the friggin' field goal post is throwing the flag. I see everyone jumping up all around me. I'm the one there pissed who's got to tell them there's nothing to celebrate. And then another chip shot is coming. I'm pissed. There's a lot to air out. There's a lot I'm going to be pissed about. Let's get it going. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little I'm I was a little bit with Carson. I was into the fourth quarter and then it was maybe like 10 minutes left in the like something innate in me the nerves just hit and i was like oh man this is this is gonna be this is gonna get disaster level i think we need to start i, I don't even know where to start i guess but can i, I guess go ahead Mike. Like, you can uh, start maniac you mentioned a lot of the stuff we'd like to listen to uh a lot of content creators often mention that uh shows after bill's wins are the generally the most positive i find that kind of strange because i thought find it more cathartic to listen to everybody after bill's losses and just just hear all the venting and all the analytics about what went wrong. If ever, if we win the game, then what's really to listen to? You know, everything generally goes right, and we come out happy, and we can revel in that a little bit. But uh, there's not much to break down other than Josh Allen threw all the touchdowns and the defense made all the stops, etc. After games like this, this is when I want to hear content creators come out and just you know take this team apart and dissect them down to a you know the the bare bones. I agree. This is where the Shope and the Bulldogs, this is where the Biscaglias and the Beaufets make their killing for sure. But I'm ready to kill this roster. I don't know why you're delaying us, Partham. Are you not ready to air grievances right now? Are you, are you look, you look like you're ready to air, air your soul out at the beginning of the soul. We're doing it right now. Let's, let's just break it down bit by bit, Jacob. What, what, what do you want to start with? I'll start with my first tweet that I sent during the game. I hate Gabe Davis. And I think I'm just going to stick with that. I wrote an article about a month ago. That was titled, The Bills Are in an Existential Crisis. And that was the start of the article. I should have changed the headline after. But maybe just somewhere deep down, I knew that this was there were some deep problems. But my main issue was in that, that blog was about the lack of weapons for Josh Allen and that you can't expect, you know, with however good a scheme is, sometimes you just need Jimmys and Joes and that he's been put into this position for what? 
because he had a one maybe maybe my airing of actually my first grievance is i've seen so many damn clips of 13 seconds game to the last couple of days and so many people being like man this was our peak this was our year all this other stuff and i think that is my biggest problem with the bills fan base if that's how the bills have been thinking all that all that shit because you know what they lost and gabe davis had the best game of his life maybe that he'll ever have. He's going to be chasing that moment, I imagine, for the rest of his NFL career. And my biggest thing in sports is you cannot, as a roster and as a team, and if you're as a GM, whatever, is hold on to past memories of success. And I feel like I've done too much deflecting over the past two years, whether it's Brandon Bean, whether it's the players on this roster, you talk about a Dawson Knox, who's been pretty much average for two years now without Brian Dable, whether it's Gabe Davis, who I think we can all say does not qualify as a wide receiver two that you'd want to see on this team, at least for what we expect from this offense. I think that's my biggest issue. So whether it's with Brandon Bean, whether it's with Gabe Davis not developing who we think we are, I have a huge problem with Captain Gabe Davis not being uh, not being willing to speak to the media after a loss. That's for damn sure. So I think my first grievance is with Gabe Davis because I feel like if there's there's a point in this game where it's not about X's and O's, it's about Jimmy's and Joe's, and the Bills wanted him to be or, or expected him to be a compliment. I saw so much stuff. Oh, he's wide receiver one B. All this like that he that he was gonna be in this role, and it's never happened. And Josh Allen is has to play. I don't know if he has to. That's another grievance we could get to. He's tried to play like a Superman, like a superhero all the time. And if you have a guy that can just get open consistently outside of Stefan Diggs, and that's Don Kincaid's been great at that this year too. But a guy on the outside who could do that, these things would be a lot easier. Maybe they're seven and three right now. You know, I don't know if that's the difference, but these margins are so slim. And I feel like that man has been miscast in this role. So that's my first person I'm airing anything. Any any thoughts about Gabe Davis? Anything else? Or do you guys just want to go around the horn here uh, and keep add on, Parthi? We've known for a while what Gabe Davis is. He's a deep threat with a very limited route tree that a lot of opposing cornerbacks have said are, are very easy to figure out. And we can count on him for one uh, easy, not necessarily easy, but hit him on the hands, drop pass every other game or so. And I don't know why it surprises us why, you know, every drop pass by a receiver is a chance for someone to intercept it. So it was inevitable to happen to Gabe at some point. Um, it, it, he's not being resigned. Not for the amount of money he wants. If he wants to stick around for less money because he wants to contribute to this team and develop as a receiver and play a wide receiver three role, then fine. But he's not wide receiver two material. He shows flashes of it, but he's not consistent enough to do this. So, I mean, and on top of all that, it'd be one thing if you're just not living up to your potential uh, productivity. It's another thing to just shrink from the spotlight when you're responsible partly however much of a piece of a pie there is for this ineptitude of the Bills offense, as much as it can move the ball and all these metrics, EVA, DVOA, RNA, DNA, you can take them all and shove them because we're not scoring. So however much you contribute to the productivity, you're not contributing to the scoring. And at the end of the day, 
if he can't be a wide, as productive as a wide receiver two should be, he should either take, either take a backseat to somebody who is going to be or just find another place that's going to pay him. Yeah, Gabe Davis needs to overcome this adversity that he's clearly going through in this season especially. I mean, you know, you do look at his career numbers. Is he just a 600 to 800 yard, you know, six to seven touchdown guy? By the way, speaking of overcoming adversity, shout out to Carson, who was just looking like Diglett there for a minute with the graphic in front of his face, but that's okay. But Carson, I'm curious your thoughts on Captain Gabe Davis not speaking to the uh, to the media after that performance. Uh, so first, I do want to backtrack on one thing. Like, uh oh, you, you haven't even served on anything. How can like you backtrack? <laughs> He he runs like three good routes. He runs your twelve to ten curl. He hit, he runs your post. There's like one other route that he ran. There's some tracker that I saw that that proved that. But as far as his captaincy, not talking to the media. You know, as a captain, you know I was team captain this year for a high school team. Obviously not to the same extent, but you're out there to serve and back up your guys. Whether it's you know through the highs of the season, the lows, and I feel like I get. You know, the interviews and stuff can definitely get dreadful, you know, after a devastating loss like that. And he obviously feels probably that, you know, he didn't play his greatest game. But I feel an interview then you have to take as a team captain because it's an opportunity for, one, yourself to to back yourself up a little bit. And two, more importantly in the team, is to express confidence in, you know, your teammates. And him not doing that just, I don't know, it, it just shows to me that, I, it just seems like it's more mental right now, like in the locker room and that, that him declining an interview, it shows to me that that's part of it. I was going to say, it seems like Gabe Davis is being a little bit more of a Jay Bruce Ismay than a captain Smith. If you know what I'm saying, uh, mm-hmm. but this ship will not be a Titanic part. I, I do have faith in Brady, but yeah, you have to air the grievances on Gabe because obviously you got to think the performance of Stefan has been steady. You know, he had a three touchdown game earlier this season, only a month and a half ago, even though it feels like a year ago. But besides that, these tertiary weapons need to start performing. So obviously Gabe Davis is the leader of that, you know, given the way that this team is constructed partly. Or the way, or these tertiary weapons need to be schemed in. Like it took a Dawson Knox injury for Gabe da- for a Dalton Dawson. Geez, I'm confusing all these guys for Kincaid to even smell, you know, productivity the way we expected him to. How many running backs have we drafted or tried to sign or attempted to sign that were supposed to be these pass catching options that you know Dorsey wasn't integrating into the system? And we can get into Dorsey and all the all problems we had with him going out the door. But it's one thing to have all these weapons. It's another thing to know how to utilize them. And that's one of the things that uh, Joe Brady's going to have to learn going forward. And we're going to have to count on him to do. You want to talk about Ken Dorsey? Let's talk Ken Dorsey one last time. Let's give him a send off. Let's give him uh, his wake or whatever you want to say. I'll air a grievance with Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen for lying to us too. Because there's a lot of quotes like this. Oh, Gabe Davis isn't wide receiver too. He's a compliment. I won't put a ceiling on Gabe Davis. I'll gladly put a ceiling. But that's it. That's the last of Gabe Davis. Let's go into Ken Dorsey. How do you feel, Mike? Uh, Ken Dorsey. I mean, how many times have we said the same things over and over again? We should be going under center, not shotgun. We should be using motion. We should be using play action. We should be going up a little more up-tempo more often rather than the start and the end of games. And we won't know what's going on inside that those coaches' meetings until, you know, 
people start leaving this organization. They start, you know, you know, singing like pigeons or whatever. Uh, was it Sean McDermott's idea to make, make the offense in this image or was it Ken Dorsey's inexperience? And I mean, Dan Orlovsky's out there saying this is the easiest team to prepare for offensively. And that speaks volumes. Uh I mean, we we should expect this team to do better at least this next game against the Jets, as formidable as a defense as they are. Uh, I remember I heard Eric Wood saying that it's not uncommon; it's, it's a real thing that uh, players do play better under new coordinators and coaches. You look at the Raiders not too just a couple weeks ago because they want to go out there and ha they want to have a it was a, it was him and not us mentality, however justified that is. And I yeah, think that's very fair, but and especially the reason, like you said, that coordinators tend to come in and have success is because they kind of probably dumb things down to what is successful. I mean, uh, obviously, Brady has been off to the side, seeing that establishing, you know, effective play action has been strong. When Josh Allen moves in the pocket, when you move his pocket, that's a strong move for the Bills offense. And a designed run here or there is not going to break our franchise QB. So I'm looking forward to seeing those things from Brady. But yeah, you weren't seeing those things with Dorsey. You weren't seeing the motion pre-snap to be effective in getting guys open or identifying coverage. You weren't seeing like, you know, the deep balls as, you know, effectively, I guess, as they were under Dable. I don't know. They, they were kind of good in 2022, but they were kind of missing the last month and a half. And that's what really was the ultimate downfall. I mean, NFL is a week-to-week -week league, but when you put six weeks together of sketchy offense, uh, yeah, people are kind of of uh, questioning. And really, overall, it was it was the first half offense that was super sketchy, Parthy. Josh Allen under center on Monday Night Football, four for four, sixty-one yards and a touchdown. Out of shotgun, eleven of twenty-one, one hundred sixteen yards, two pickoffs. That pretty much says it all. With, with I mean, that kind of volume, you just got to get under center more, just a little bit more. It doesn't even have to get crazy about more. You're talking about two to three snaps. Feel comfortable or not. Regardless of whether Allen feels comfortable or not under, under center, someone, maybe not literally, but someone has to get him by the face mask and say, hey, we're going to do what we do best and not what you feel comfortable with. And you've got to just suck it up because you're the quarterback and you're, you're the leader of this team and you got to lead by example. It It's... It's funny to see still, like, I saw Nate Tice, I think I saw Mina Kimes coming in defense of Dorsey and being like, oh, oh but yeah. look at the EPA numbers. Look at the third down efficiency. Look at the red zone efficiency. And under, like, it's like they haven't, like, it's, it, I, maybe they haven't watched a full Bills game this whole year, but the, we've talked about this a couple weeks, the last couple weeks, part of them. The issue has not been the underlying statistics, whatever. Like, we know that the offense can, has like a high floor. That's because of Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. I think you, any of us could come in and run an offense. And when you have that much talent, like you said earlier, X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's, sometimes when you guys if you have two guys who have elite talent, they're just going to be able to produce at a certain level. And there's been a lot of things to like about this offense this year, but it's been situationally. It's been in moments where when you have a Dan or loss of being like, this is the most predictable offense in the NFL. This is something that we talked about the last couple of weeks. Like it's not that, Dorsey, you know, they weren't running successful plays or being able to move down the field or whatever else. It's that it seemed like he was looking at the game script and just calling calling it out right down the line or like, oh, this is our third and 10 shot play. Let's run this right now. Like there was no creativity. It seemed like situationally and in these moments, he didn't have answers. He never had counters. Like he was just going to stick to whatever it was. And the one of the things that Allen brought up today was lack of communication 
whether that's leading up to the week of or on game day. And Carson, I want to like, what do you think about that? Like, how can there be a lack of communication between an offensive coordinator and their quarterback? Like, how could that be cited as an issue? Like, I feel like if anything, there should be over communication all the time between these two. So how does a lack of communication end up happening with those two? Yeah, I I mean that that can't happen at the NFL level. Like even at high school, like me and my offensive coordinator, like we'd go back and forth on a lot of different things, motion shifts, stuff like that. Like they'll obviously probably go through film together, quarterback room, and then the offensive team meetings and stuff like that. But you know, as far as game plan stuff goes, they I I want to say they probably did it together, like every team does. But it's more so like when you're in between series, Dorsey being up, you know, in the booth, this might have something to do with it too. Like when you're on the field, you typically have more communication with your quarterback compared to in the booth, but in the booth, you get a better view. It's just, you know, the pros and cons, but I feel during, you know, in between drives, they could have definitely done a lot better job for what Josh was seeing. And I thought what, what he wanted, I thought there could have been a lot better, you know, communication probably going into the opening drives. I feel like we've, it's been up and down, you know, with our drives for opening script series and stuff like that. So I really think like th- that just can't happen in the NFL. It can't. And th- I'm excited for Joe Brady to take over. Obviously him and Josh have a good relationship. So let- I mean, hopefully this sparks something in the offense. Yeah. I, I, I think that like you guys mentioned that there's gotta be, there's always a bump when it's a new coach, new energy, everything else, like the guys feeling just a little different, a different voice going in there. And clearly this voice was not hitting anymore, whatever it is. But yeah, it's baffling to me that there can be a lack of communication, especially at the NFL level. Um, but I think we need to get to, to the main crux here. We got to talk Sean McDermott maniac. The boys, boys on the hot seat at this point. There's been some articles it's dropping. Up. It's heating up, up a little up. bit. I mean, for sure. You'd be crazy not to think it's heating up, but yeah, I, you're, he's at a, they're in a, the bills as a team are what, I mean, what was the last time a McDermott team lost three or four? I don't even think in 2019, they lost three or four. So it's been at least, you know, four years since a stretch this bad quote unquote. Uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, he's got to pull himself out of it. You got to stick to your guns, stick to what's working. I think the defense is okay. You do want to get more pressure. You're not going to do it by blitzing. So you got to work those four man fronts. I don't know if we have to play Von Miller a little bit less. Uh, I know he's already not playing that much, but you know, our tribal chief, AJ Epinesa, I'm not airing any grievances with him. He's been doing his part this season. I think if you told anyone the production you're getting out of AJ Epinesa this season, you would think, Oh my gosh, the bills are going to the super bowl. When you factor in all the other factors, but instead he's kind of been the one along with Russo and Oliver keeping that defense afloat. And that's what McDermott needs to do. He needs to just stick to the defensive side of things. Shut the fuck up about the offense. If you're even thinking about it, talking about it, just don't do it. Because you have, there's nothing to gain. McDermott, there's nothing to gain on offense. You are not making the offense more aggressive. If Joe Brady says punt and you say go for it, that's the only time you should be like jumping in on him. That besides that, let Joe Brady cook and let Josh Allen just do his thing. But yeah, McDermott. I mean, he struggled to get to this point. Clearly, you you don't you don't get to a hot seat without fucking up, and they've been fucking up in a big way this last month and a half. What What do you guys think, Partham? I'll start with you about the subculture within the culture of the Buffalo Bills. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wait, so we're franchising our cultures now? I mean, this is punk rock. That's what he wants. He wants they, the Bills are rocking. He wants the NWO black, black and white B team or something? 
That's oh, what I'm no. Oh, no. Is, this, pack, is the offense NWO Wolfpack? Let's go. <laughs> oh. Listen, listen. Carson, that was before your time by like 20 years. It, yeah, it was. Listen, Sean McShottenheimer, as I recall, was hired on his detail-oriented approach. Then what do we get after that? We get Nathan Peterman. We get a 16-point lead blown versus the Texans. We got no explanation to this day for 13 seconds. And now the latest debacle is 12 men. I mean, is McDermott the tie rod of coaches? You can win with him, but you'll not win because of him. Does he have a limit? Does he have a ceiling? Here he is repeating the mistakes of so many coaches of the past, both Bills and non-Bills. He's calling cover zero blitzes, not one, but two plays in a row. I mean, you get a sack the first play, great. You get you get him in third and ten. And he calls another one, and maybe you could say that it was defended well and it was just a crap uh, rule for pass interference. Yes. But at the end of the day, you're just inviting Greg, – Greg Williams got fired as the defensive coordinator for the Jets for this exact same thing, cover, co- calling a cover zero blitz at the waning seconds of a game. Uh, 12 men in the field, that's the Rex Ryan special Go in reverse. Rex had 10 men on the field, but at least they don't call penalties for 10 men on the field. We won, won the game with Rex Ryan out there as coach in that particular instance. And then firing Ken Dorsey, I recall Rex Ryan firing uh, an offensive coordinator, Greg Mormon, uh, in a week, after a week to a game when they gave up 31, 37 points and scored 31, as if the offense was the problem at that point. And here's the laundry list of coordinators and assistant coaches that McDermott has fired, including Rick Dennison, Danny Crossman, uh, Frazier, and now Dorsey. At, what, at this point, he's running out of coaches to fire, and he's basically going to point the gun at himself whether he knows it or not. Spin zone. I, I don't like – I'm angry about McDermott, but I got to jump in here. Sure. Dennison was lining Mike Tolbert out wide, Michael Hartham. Okay? <laughs> fine, fine, okay, fine. bottom line. Uh, case closed. I don't have to say anything more. Leslie Frazier, did he deserve to get fired? No. But I would argue that the offensive defense we were seeing the first five weeks before they sustained crazy injuries was looking a little bit improved sure. versus what we were seeing Leslie Frazier with a lot of the same personnel. So, again, I, I think McDermott's ass deserves to be hot just as much as anybody. It's in the jackpot for sure. But I do look at those things like getting rid of the coordinators. I don't think those are that big deal. That's kind of just happens in the NFL. That's why you have that five-year rule, right? No team has ever had a coach or GM or whatever beyond five years. Yeah. Not win a Super Bowl and then eventually do it. That's why, because there's so much turnover and stuff like that. Now, with that said, the thing you are going to get out of McDermott is you're going to get an amazing defensive game plan that's at least going to put the other team in a phone booth for the first 20 to 30 minutes most of the time. Now, with that said, he needs someone on the offensive side to literally help him put the foot on the person's neck, on the other team's neck when they get that advantage out the gate, when they get that strong start. They haven't been getting those strong starts on offense recently. That's been causing them to obviously struggle and playing from behind, not complimentary football as he's looking for. So listen, McDermott has a lot of fucking faults. And don't even get me started on the dumbass challenge in Cincinnati. Don't even get me started on the 12 men on the field after two timeouts in the last minute. He's got a lot of shit to Abram, but the degree of difference between what we have with McDermott and what we could achieve with him and Allen and someone who can put the offensive you know, pedal to the metal. And people say Dable did that, but all the tertiary numbers, and you know this, Partham, show that the Dable offense struggled just as much as the Dorsey defense offense did at times. They, they were very identical in that way. That's the one defense I'll have about Dorsey is that there were 2021, there were stretches where people were calling for Dable's head. Like there, the there was year. a six week stretch. Someone posted the details, points per game, yards per game, all the stats. They were basically identical. It's the yeah. November stretch from 2021. Uh, and it's, and it's that now again, 
I think Partham is a big fan of being like, well, there was the Buccaneers game, which was a shaft, and there was the there was the win game. Patriots game with the wing game. I get it, but that's the NFL. That's the NFL. Part of my uh, thing with that too is that if we're gonna we're gonna give that that high variance, that's why you can't give Ken Dorsey all this credit for having these great EPA and the great DVOA and everything. Because the high variance belongs to Josh Allen. Who's the one consistent of these stretches and of these things? It's Allen. And we know the quarterback is inconsistent. That's what we've signed up for. It's a, it's like almost a, you can just clock it in that the graphic's going to come up during a Bills game that Josh Allen has the second most TD since 2018, but he also has the most turnovers. Like we know that that's the life we've been living. And so that's why I don't like, I don't get the defenses of Dorsey. Like, so like the, the, the pervent or whatever, the defenses that are so like, oh man, like this is never an issue. He hasn't been a problem at all. Blah, 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 whatever. Because why are we not giving like if we're gonna give Allen blame, we have to give him more credit for what this offense has been for the last four years. And I feel like when everybody wants to rip on this Bills team and it's outside media more than anything else, because I feel like Bills fans are too defensive over Allen, and that's why we get this like weird like there's a middle ground with him that people need to get to, and I feel like that variance drives people's opinions too far one way or too far the other way. But he's been the consistent the this consistent thing here, you know. Like in that variance. So I don't know. But the biggest complaint, I think, with McDermott and with Frazier, really, Leslie Frazier went gone. And this team used to be dis- like the one thing I'll agree with with Gronk from that thing earlier is this team used to be more disciplined. This team used to be prepared. Leslie Frazier leaves, and this is the most unprepared, undisciplined team. And you saw a lot of stuff from people in the national media when Frazier got let go, resigned, whatever the hell happened there, that they're like, that guy was the steadying thing in that locker room. Like there were a lot of people saying that, and there's a lot of people that poo-pooed that were like, ah, whatever. Like he has because they were everybody was mad, obviously, good for good reason was mad. But I feel like there was some credence to that at this point because this has been an undisciplined, unprepared team to this point for well, a large. There was out there saying that they prepared for that very uh, field goal scenario. You know, (laughs) he should have never said that. He never should have said that. That made it worse. Like, why would what was he thinking saying that would make it better? And you know what? If we could demote McDermott, if that was a thing, we could demote co- head coaches to coordinators. I'd be perfectly happy with McDermott being a defensive coordinator for the rest of his tenure in Buffalo. Aside from these particular big miscues in that last drive, that you know should be fire- fireball offenses anyway. But um, I, I'm perfectly fine with McDermott over Frazier as a defensive coordinator. I don't know that I'm fine with McDermott over Frazier as a leader, as the someone to get those guys in the locker room to believe in him. Yeah, man. Carson, how do you feel like uh, just where are you at, I guess, with the Sean McDermott experience right now? So, like, I'm just so sick and tired of the scapegoats. Like, you got Ken Dorsey, obviously, as of recently, but Leslie Frazier, I will say that I I do have a source. I won't say who it is, but it's, it's going to be accurate that they let the safeties coach go as kind of a punishment for Frazier for kind of just what was going on. It was built up. Let's just say that. And Frazier obviously didn't like it. There was some scuffle slash argument that went on. And obviously I think that that was the straw that broke the camel's back with Leslie Frazier, but like the scapegoating has got to stop. Like the scapegoat, the scapegoating is it, 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 it does nothing because it's just a repeating cycle that happens over and over again. Like, congrats, you got Dable. But, I mean, after that, it, it, it's just been a repeating cycle. 
And as far as like the 12 guys go, that's unacceptable. I don't like, I don't understand why he threw that in the interview. It just made it sound worse. Like you guys touched on like, and practice. Yeah, sure. You do it all you want, but you had not only that, you had two timeouts to figure it out. So like, it, it's just a huge clusterfuck in my opinion. It, it's awful. It is awful. Speaking of scapegoating, how do we know who ordered the code red on uh, Cook out there getting take out getting taken out after the first fumble? Because he says that in the in the post game, I have all the confidence that he said to Cook, I have all the confidence in you. Didn't really look like it if he's the one uh, ultimately giving the orders here. And I mean, we I've seen uh, uh, I think John Fina was in my replies saying something to the effect of, yeah, that's probably what I would do too. But then Fred Jackson's out there saying, no, you do not do that to a running back. You do not do that to his confidence. And had he been out there and been a little more productive than Latavius Murray, who knows what would have happened in those few drives in the first quarter that Cook was taken out of. I mean, and- Singletary was a fumble machine, wasn't he? I don't recall him being benched yeah. in game. If That's I, the thing I, that drove me nuts about this is James Cook had one fumble previously in his career going into that game. One lost fumble. And it was week one against the Rams. Like it was his first game of his career. And he got that. put into the doghouse right after that too. We didn't see James Cook for like two quarters that game. And so I don't you're going to James going in the doghouse. Exactly. You just, <laughs> the exact, my exact point. How, why, where's the yep. accountability for the wide receiver who the ball went right through his hands and it caused an interception, which is, it's the same thing. What's the difference? Like I mean, the Butterfingers disease was all around last night. Kincaid had one go through his hands. Diggs had one go off his hands. It was all the, the miscues were Josh Allen's having balls drop out of his hands on a handoff. And when does that happen? Yeah, I mean, that we was know he's so throwing sketchy. those uh, corner flat interceptions on a semi-weekly basis, and we got to get that out of him somehow, which is, should be obvious. Just tear that play out of the playbook. But dropping a, a handoff? I mean, the miscues were all over the place last night, but only Cook apparently gets an in-game punishment for it. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't really Probably. bench the other guys. I mean, you're not going to bench Gabe Davis. I mean, you have Latavius Murray, like, who's kind of – you know, what and did I, I didn't, I didn't hate what he gave him, but obviously James Cook came into the end of the game, even though that fumble play was a little bit like wackadoo, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the 50 plus yard run. But yeah, uh, you know, the the fault is exactly like you said, is that McDermott is, is kind of running an uneven ship at the end of the day. It's, it's, you know, one thing for one and one for another. And you can't have that. I mean, if you want a good culture and if you want a good subculture, you need to make sure that Bro, everyone's getting treated. Was that equally. not the most Kendall Roy ass quote you've ever seen in your life? Uh, like, uh, our, our, listen, this culture is going underground. Okay. Uh, uh, subculture. We really need, we need synergy across all our cultures, but we need them <laughs> to be separate. Yeah. It's just, are the Buffaloes one? <laughs> one Buffalo sounds right out of the Kendall Roy experience. Yeah, yeah, it really does. That's some Kendall Roy branding. Yeah, I'm. It it feels like he's lost the plot. Feels like he's lost the narrative, and he's still doubling. Like even today, he's like hyping up the defense and like talk about how well they've been playing and everything else. It's like you are like you're just covering your own ass, bro. Like that's what it really all sounds like to me. Is like he's out there like talking to Brandon Bean and, and Terry Pagula and being like, listen, I've been doing all this though. The offense has their own issues. They're their own subculture. Yeah. They're their own thing. But I took over this defense and did this. And when you are the CEO, the head coach, all these things, like you, the buck is with you. The buck stops with you. That's what it comes down to. And so like the blame game, talking about all this subculture, these crazy, you know, just really like, it's not that he's wrong about the defense being 
still halfway decent despite all these injuries. It's that he's just putting it out there, reminding us of that, that we already know. We you don't, you don't need him to remind us that the defense is actually, despite all the metrics that, you know, say the offense is good and the defense is the problem, we know that the defense is holding all these offenses to somewhere in the vicinity of 20 points. If the offense can get off their butts and score 30, we'd be winning all these games. But for him to come out there and put that in our face, you know, that's our job to look at that and say, Sean, you're doing a great job given the circumstances of your mash unit and duct tape defense. But him trying to say, you know, I'm doing well. Don't look at me. But and like yeah, I said, and, and, and part of with his comments, be great. a couple weeks ago, you know, he was asked, like, how much input do you have in the offense? And he basically says he like he didn't say he like had a complete like grip on it or whatever. But he said, you know, he imposes his philosophies on how he wants to see it executed is basically, for lack of a better term, what he said. And truthfully, I appreciate his honesty in that scenario. But that was basically the worst thing he could have said, yep. because now every time we're conservative, anytime we're doing something kind of rinky dinky or that doesn't feel like we're going full throttle, everyone thinks it's McDermott being conservative. If I was him, I would have been like, listen, guys, you know, my expertise is on the defensive side of the ball. I just put up the headset like when they're on the offensive side. At the end of the day, essentially, Josh Allen has been reduced to like Michael Jackson or like, you know, some big performer like Lady Gaga playing at the Bears Den at Niagara Falls Casino versus like playing at a sold out arena. Okay, like it doesn't mean that Lady Gaga can't go dominate right now. Okay, if she's put in the right scenario. But we got to wait her to the right. We got to get her to the right venue. We got to get her in the right state of mind. We got to get her in the right confidence. We got to get her in the right system, which Joe Brady's going to hopefully do. And again, Allen is still responsible here. I know we don't want to go probably full, uh, oh, full Josh, burn on, on Joshua P. List. No, he's next uh, on the uh, grievance list. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. I, didn't, I, I had a feeling. I mean, we were going to leave him unscathed, but plain and simple, I'll say this. Um, even if it's a bad route by Hardy, even if it's a bad call by Dorsey, the throw before half was just absolutely unacceptable. Uh, you cannot turn the ball over there when you're at a one, you know, one score game when you've been kind of crawling through everything. Can't turn it over there. Can't turn it over on the first game uh, play of the game against the New England Patriots, which is basically the same exact throw, same exact play. Uh, it was just a different DB who jumped in there, and you can't be turning it over four times at New York Jets to begin the season. Everything else I think is okay. Ever like the Jaguars game, okay, you dropped a, you know an egg on the road. You know, you lost uh, at Cincinnati. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with all those. It's those two specifically. The, the starting the game with a pick against the Patriots and the four picks against uh, specifically the Jets, obviously coming up this week. So that's a big portion. But yeah, Josh needs to get his head right. He needs to get his, his actions right. Can I just come to, as much as I want to blame Alan as well, he's going to share a piece of this pie. Uh, a little stat that I heard uh, that might Maybe maybe not exonerating Allen, but uh, he is leading the league in interceptions, correct? But according to analytics, he's only tw- he's ranked 29th in turnover-worthy plays. In other words, play balls that could have been intercepted but weren't. Oh yeah, he's basically out there standing on his head sometimes. Yeah, I mean the Gabe <laughs> Davis ball in the red zone is obviously not on him. Yeah, you, you have to right. not have a pulse to even think so. There, and there's been a couple of those this year. Yeah. Uh, as far as turnovers go, we had a bit of a bad luck because, you know, on average, you lose 50% of your balls, right? Because they, they're oblong, they take weird bounces, like uh, on the Cook run, of course. The Bills have lost seven of, seven of eight fumbles this year. You compare that to the Dolphins, they've lost only five of 16. So maybe it's just been bad ball luck as far as, as, far as fumbles go. But obviously, when you're throwing the same uh, 
flat route, the same play every other game, and you just don't learn that the cornerbacks are about to sucker you in. It's something, I mean, we we can put that half of that blame on Josh and half of that blame on whatever offensive coordinator or coach is in his head at the time. But at the end of the day, you know, as much as we can blame Allen, despite the fact that we're not going to cut him, despite the fact that we're not going to trade him, it doesn't mean he's absolved of blame. But at the end of the day, someone needs to get in his face and say, don't do this anymore. You Look at what they're baiting you into. You have to see that before you throw the ball. I mean, that guy was, he was, Hardy was never open on that play. Like, the yeah, sky when you look at it, when you look at like, it, there's zero reason that Allen should have lasered that in there. There was never know. hope in it. That's it's our Americans. I wouldn't even make that throw on Madden, bro. Like, there's like, there's no chance. Like, I'm trying that. Like, there's nothing. Carson, from your perspective, what it, what are you seeing from Allen? Like, are you have yeah. you seen not enough? Like, do you think there's more that he can do from his side? I think you know the icing on the cake. What I saw was a lack of confidence towards like the past past two to three weeks as the offense has sputtered, and some of that I think comes from him being neutered a little bit. You know, with I think some of the the turnovers and then him the lack of run the lack of quarterback runs, but you know that's all fixed that that can all be fixed I think in the coming weeks all it takes is one good game for a quarterback to get his confidence right and I think that starts with a lot of, I, the one thing I will say I was a Dorsey fan but the one thing he didn't do enough of was the easy throws for Josh Allen whether it's a bubble screen or it's play action into the flats or just a speed out or something like that. I don't think he schemed guys open enough to the point where it made Josh's job easier. You look at the Shanahan's of the world. You look at Mike McDaniel. Hell, you even look at Cliff Kingsbury a few years ago at Arizona. He schemed guys open. I don't think Dorsey did that enough. And, you know, that takes a – once you get the easy completions going early in the game, that's when you can start letting it rip and stuff like that. And those are those are easy confidence builders, and I think he needs some of those. That's where I am with Allen. And I think, you know, once you start getting that and you start taking what the defense gives you aggressively – not dumb. That's when the ball starts moving. And that's when the confidence, you know, starts to not only change with him, but everyone's looking at him in the locker room. Like how, how is he responding? The confidence change with the changes with the team as it goes with Josh. So that that's where I stand on that. Can I make a comparison here? It's been often said, but maybe we need to look at it a little bit closer. Is Josh Allen, Brett Favre without the early Super Bowl wins or early Super no. Bowl appearances? There was, a, there was this, I saw that graphic. Boo. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. You know what that graphic doesn't include? And Brett Favre was running around. Josh Allen basically has RB2 numbers every year. Hmm. Yeah, except this year. The one that's a great great fucking point. Time to get our boy moving. Get the pocket moving. Get Jay moving. Go ahead, Brett. Go ahead, yeah. Uh, Brett Favre threw uh, 85 or 86 games compared to Josh Allen. Uh, 83 interceptions to Josh Allen, 69. So he nice. made Josh Allen may lead the league in interceptions nice. since whatever year he may lead the league in interceptions this year. But like I said earlier, he's not the he's at the very bottom of turnover worthy plays. So I mean, maybe he's not quite the reckless gunslinger that Brett Favre was. Maybe he's encountering bad luck. Maybe he's just doing dumb plays that no one's coaching him out of. But I don't yet think that you can compare his uh style, you can compare his uh, you know take the bad with the good as far as touchdown interception ratio. I don't think he's yet Brett Favre because Brett Favre was, he would make mistakes in the very late portions of games. Josh Allen's more so making mistakes in the earlier portions of games. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Cause I trust, I still trust Josh Allen to go down the field and get a game winning drive. I texted 
texted my dad as the, they were going to that game. I said, Josh, game-winning drive incoming, and then they ran the ball every single time. But it was still, you know, still counts as that it would have been a game-winning drive for Josh Allen. Still get it. He's done that so many times. We've seen it this year, going down the field in late-game moments, fourth-quarter moments where they go down with ease. I would definitely agree with uh, with that notion about Allen. I think the, the, the craziest thing, and this, I guess this isn't really an Allen grievance, but maybe it is because the running thing is I – I mean, I know we talk about it and it's not, I wouldn't say it's an underrated thing, but this man is like the second best running, rushing, running quarterback in the league behind Lamar Jackson. Like that's, and they've just, where it's been gone. Like the creativity, especially part, like it's, there's no freelance runs. Like you see that, that shotgun play that everybody's talking about on fourth and one, right? He, and he could have hit Kincaid, obviously. He still could have even hit Shakir. It's a bad throw. He's off balance. He, he, it was an inaccurate throw. But I feel like Josh Allen from last year is just turning the corner and diving for the first down. And whatever it is, whether that's him deciding that, that he needs to be more careful, or whether the coaching staff, like you said, Carson, has neutered him and beat it into him that he can't be taking those chances, it has taken an element away that every single defender in the NFL fucking loves. Every every defense loves that Josh Allen is not trying to run them over. The freaking Madden screen. The Madden opening screen when you open the game is Josh Allen running and running over a linebacker. Like EA this is who we know. Hate right now. A hundred percent. This is false advertising. This is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's all great points. I mean, listen, you want to keep Josh Allen healthy. You don't want him to get nicked up. You're not going to have much more to stay healthy for if you keep playing like this and keep Facts. operating on offense like this. Facts. Let's shout and out. By to, the way, uh, sorry, real quick. Yeah, never but, forget the. Ken Dorsey's last offensive drive will be a drive where we ran it on every single down and we scored a touchdown. <laughs> Irony. Uh, let's uh, send a shout out to Robin Mundy, who was Josh Allen's biggest, you know, advocate even before the draft, you know, living out there in Wyoming, seeing uh, Josh Allen uh, up close and personal more, more or less. But uh quote from Robin Mundy, uh, I'm Josh Allen's biggest homer, but y'all know I will bring down the hammer if necessary, and it's necessary. Stay tuned. So she has a, a tea with Robin show uh, on the Bills Mafia Network over there. So if she's going to come down on Josh Allen, we should all be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel great, you know. I'll be honest. Like, Josh is our guy, and we're going to ride the guy. Nothing has changed in that regard. Has he been acting a little bit out of out of uh, sorts, a little bit out of whack? I think so, and I think that a little confidence building, just like Carson said, if Joe Brady can uh, be that Josh whisperer, uh, and if he's not getting talked down to by uh, a certain wrestler, uh, we'll be okay. Hmm. And he, he's out there looking disheveled in press conferences. He's gone from a golden retriever to a guy who looks like he lost his golden retriever, and it's very disheartening. Well, he did, he does not have a dog anymore, so that could be the thing, too. I mean, maybe he needs a dog. <laughs> you need a dog in your life sometimes, bro. Or maybe a cat, a, pet, a parrot, something. something borrow one of Bruce Nolan's dogs. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the Allen um, – yeah, I, I agree with you guys on everything – Allen wise. And I think that he, if anything, if Joe Brady, if the switch to Joe Brady is strictly a vibes change, as they're mentioning, like trying to get some energy in there. If there's anything I can say from Ken Dorsey from a thousand feet view, it does not look like he's like the most energetic and fun guy to be around all the time. And this is a team that like Dable was all emotion. 
you know it's like they were like it kind of they seem like opposite personalities and maybe that's what this team needs is just a personality shift maybe that is what they mean when they need a subculture within the culture you know what i mean like it's we're, just a shift of like a different voice like a more energetic voice like some like some juice like they were mentioning earlier too like maybe that is it we're working in that subculture with dorsey was like working with the boss from grandma's boy <laughs> adios turd nuggets exactly because i don't know how you do this but i might say the up the boss from office space okay yeah, i'm gonna yeah. need you to throw with the flat again yeah. yeah josh i'm gonna need you to not run the ball this game i'm gonna need you to sit back in the pocket and, yes. and assess the defense yeah. asking him to come in on a saturday is definitely to stay in the pocket <laughs> i'm gonna need you to just stay in the pocket yeah right you know, there let's, let's get into what we've heard of joe brady so far uh I've turned I turned the uh, phrase uh, with uh, Drew uh, Schrodinger's quarterback. The idea that a backup quarterback is either better than what you have or worse than what you have, and you don't know until he gets out on that field. Well, how about Schrodinger's offensive coordinator is Joe Brady? At least for us, I mean, he had success with LSU and not so much with Carolina. But my understanding is he went to Carolina under relatively new ownership. He was pushed by Matt Coach head coach Matt Rule to run the ball more, which. Uh, at times, of course, with the last Ken Dorsey drive that we saw at, uh, against a very bad Denver rushing defense, at times is advantageous, but we all know that passing is what wins in this league ultimately. But as far as passing goes, how about having Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, and the final season of Cam Newton as your array of quarterbacks that you have over a, a year and a half or two to work work with? Now, the, uh, Joe Brady was fired over a bye week, and it didn't set well with players because – uh, Matt Rule told all those guys to like, you know, take a vacation, take a week off on our bye week, you know, go out of town and do stuff. You know what Joe Brady did? He stayed at the stadium with the recently returned Cam Newton, going talking with him and looking at film and going over how to best to integrate him back into the system. And that's when he was fired. He was fired. It leaked out like uh, on a 1 p.m. after the kickoff during the bye week, and that really did not sit well with players. So he left under very uh, questionable circumstances. Uh, I got some little bit of stats here as far as uh, Joe Brady's offense. In 2020, he was ranked 13th in neutral score first down pass rates, which was 50%, and 7th in neutral score pass rates on all downs, which was 60%. And those rates were a lot lower in 2021, 38% and 53% before he was let go, which speaks to Matt Rule, you know, not unlike we're speculating here about McDermott getting involved with offensive uh, philosophy, maybe wanting to create more balance and whatnot. But Matt Rule was definitely doing that. And hopefully uh, he won't tolerate the same with McDermott here or McDermott will have learned his lesson by now, knowing he's definitely getting a little warmer in that seat there. Well said. I'm, Seriously, that was my McDermott doesn't neuter him. That was my biggest thing. There's a lame duck, Matt Rule, who was not a good NFL coach. And he needed Matt, to, needed Matt to Rule's somebody, middle right? name is questionable. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm willing, I'm willing to give Joe Brady – a fresh start here and not look at that, that car, uh, that Carolina um, experience. Speaking of Carolina experience, Carson, we got one person left to throw on the burner before we go. Any thoughts for Brandon Bean? The raw, the drafts, if you go back to the drafts, they're not great the last couple years. All right. I got a brilliant idea guys. Hey, no, Brilliant idea, though. Let's sign Deontay Hardy for nine, two years, nine and a half million dollars to not use him because, <laughs> you know, he, he's good for returns. That's the only time he sees the field. But I, I, 
I overall, I think Bean's done a pretty good job, but the failure to get a, a solid wide receiver too has absolutely crippled this team year after year. You know, Emmanuel Sanders, he was he he was usable. Gabe Davis, in my opinion, is one of the most overrated, you know, receivers in the league. We touched on him, not gonna be a dead horse there, but the ability I, I personally would trade a little bit of you know, what we have on defense to make our offense just unstoppable. If we can get a wide receiver two and stop worrying about who, what defensive end we're going to draft in the first or second round this year, that would be nice. And offensively, you know, he, he attempted to fix the offensive line this year. They, they definitely improved. I'll give him credit with that. But the skill positions, I still think we can definitely help Josh out with more skill guys, whether it's, you know, another running back maybe who's not playoff Lenny, who's that's a different, that's a whole nother conversation, but I just feel we can do better with Josh and provide a little more, you know, help in the pass catching game. Yeah. Brandon beans, my guy, just real quick. I'll jump in here. Uh, he's definitely my guy. We're going to ride with him. He's made more. He's a lot, a lot more hits than misses, but this is a lot of misses in a row, uh, for to steal a sports example that right now, Brandon bean is basically for this year, essentially, Brandon Bean is Kobe Bryant in game seven of the 2011 finals. Okay, so if we win, it's going to be in spite of what Brandon Bean has done for the last four to six months. It's not going to be anything that he did to get this group through because we didn't really bring in any reinforcements unless Linval Joseph and Roswell Douglas end up being lifesavers. They look okay. They've made some contributions, but unless they end up being lifesavers, they're basically going to be Kobe's six for 24 in game seven that uh, happened in that Lakers win. Well, let's be fair to Brandon Bean. He's found a few gems in late rounds, guys like Matt Milano, guys like Terrell Bernard. But the problem is they keep coming from everywhere but the wide receiver two position. And I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's safe to say we're all on Jeremy White's wide receiver train, choo-choo, the only other train that never stops around here. I mean, how, how many other teams like the Eagles and the Bengals are we going to watch either beat us or just run through teams on their way to the Super Bowl that have not maybe two, even three star receivers that can just run all these routes and just cut up defenses on a daily, weekly basis? And we've just got digs and a bunch of guys. Can Case finally, you know, coming into his own once we got out of the 12 offense? But uh, ultimately, you need another downfield threat, and you need another downfield threat whose uh, route tree isn't going to be like the parting of the Red Sea, and you know, everybody, nobody's going to go through it. Apparently, I will say that my biggest issue is everything you guys are saying is the team building aspect and not paying enough attention to the offensive side of the ball. They drafted a lot of running backs, where you, a lot of people will be like, "Why are we using these high assets on running backs and guys who aren't on the roster anymore who are now producing?" Stack Moss and Devin Singletary having career days on different teams this year is a pretty uh I, I don't know what that's damn who that's damning to if it's the offensive scheme or anything else but it's tough to see but like it, obviously they had talent they have the ability to do it so you can't fault Bean, I guess but you can fault him with using the asset on the position my biggest thing is you look at these Cam Newton uh rosters and the offenses they put out, and it feels like those those Carolina fans are probably complaining about the same things. They didn't address the offensive side of the ball, really, with Cam. They would go get running backs. They weren't drafting wide receiver ones at the top of the draft to go help him out. And it feels like they're doing the same thing with their generational quarterback and then telling him to be a drop-back passer. And it's, it's, it's maddening when you see, like you said, the Eagles who – 
had to, who have Devonta Smith and AJ Brown or the, the Bengals who have Jamar Chase and T Higgins. And even if they're not going to be able to keep T Higgins, like five years or four years of T Higgins brought them to a Super Bowl. Like it's gotten them to be a consistent uh, contender every single year. You see the year that the Ravens this year finally addressed the wide receiver position. They go get Odell. They draft Zay Flowers to add to Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews. And Lamar's having the best year passing of his career. Like there's, there's the just the Dolphins. Yeah, you have Tyreek Hill. You have Jalen Waddle. Like these are – I'm the same thing as you, Carson. I've always I've been the biggest proponent last year. Like your fastball is Josh Allen. You have to add to your yep. fastball in this league. Like you can if – if, if McDermott is this inc- – look what he's doing with no talent on – this defense right now we're talking about how the defense is playing well and everybody's hurt so why would you not have been just amassing talent for your offense all these years then it's like a back it's just so backwards so i think Bean is kind of just he's trying to thread a needle and i respect him for you know taking the swings that he's taking because at least he's taking swings you know signing a von miller or um you know trying to keep around i guess a dawson knox at at when a time that we thought Dawson Knox was going to, you know, keep growing into a role. Like I I think when Dawson Knox signed, people weren't mad at that deal. They thought he was going to turn into a top five, top seven tight end. That's clearly not going to happen anymore. So I appreciate taking the swings. I'd I'd rather have an aggressive GM, but that's what happens when you're, when it's that thin and the margins that thin, and now you're paying the quarterback $50 million a year, you really have to hit. And so I think being, He's a great scout. Obviously, that's his background. I think he's going to do a lot of self-scouting this year, doing it right now, and going into this offseason. We may see a different philosophy from them. But I wonder how much of it has been battling with the, the head coach and their philosophies, too, and how much Bean has conceded to what McDermott's wanted, you know, too. And I don't know if he can do that anymore. But I don't know who – if McDermott – like, McDermott got hired first. So if McDermott goes, is Bean going to like? How does this the, the even? Chicken and the egg. Definitely yeah. a weird, definitely it's, it's a a weird, weird situation here. Like Bean can't fire. Like it's all going to come down to Terry. Really, Be, I feel like Bean is agreed. Not I think ultimately only it. Terry can fire. Either. Or Josh goes into the office and is like, "We can't. This team cannot do another year with this." I feel like is those Bean, are the only other options. Is Bean living under the curse of Wyatt Teller, where he's too afraid? He's giving guys second chances that maybe shouldn't like Gabe and Knox and Kyer Elam, that he's a little too gun-shy to let go of guys that he can see are limited, but he thinks, well, they may break out later and I don't want to look like a fool again. The, yeah. the, the curse of Wyatt Teller is, is the real deal. I don't want to be under that. <laughs> it's a bad one. <laughs> All right. I think we, we aired out a lot of grievances. I think this is good. I feel better. I feel better. Well, I feel I – feel, I don't feel better about the Bills, but I feel better that – Hey, we got in here, gentlemen. One little more aspect of, speaking of airing of grievances, we're seeing some former players and cur- current players airing some grievances. Uh, former player Quentin Spain implying they're firing the wrong person. Here's a guy who's out of the league one and a half years after the Bills cut him after, what, week two or three? And uh, found a place on the Bengals, ended up in a Super Bowl, and then ultimately missed a block that got Joe Burrow sacked that pretty much sealed the game for them. So, I don't know if it's his place to say that. I mean, as far as, you know, Sean McDermott goes, we've got our problems with him, and I think we could all, we would all be fine if he was let go at the end of the season or whenever. But you got players to his credit, whatever that means, like Shaq and Jordan Phillips leaving for greener pastures, you know, more money, and then coming back saying, hey, you don't know what you missed until it's gone. One last thing before we go. Well, that's what I was going to mention. So the one last note I want to leave on. Carson, I'll start with you. We'll go around the horn. Did Stefan Diggs tell Trayvon to tweet that out? 
That, that's a good question, man. I, I He can't just tweet that out of thin air, though, right? Like, there has to have had to have been conversations in the past about something along the lines of – Diggs was frustrated. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't think he's going to get traded. I think once his contract, you know, runs out, they'll yeah, probably thirty-one million in dead cap places. next year. But besides, they trade him. what's that? Sorry, it's thirty-one million in dead cap next year yeah. if they trade him. So that seems like a death knell yeah. team that already is low on funds. Yeah, that that, that won't happen. I, I just I can't I can't see the tweet coming out of thin air. They've had to have had a conversation before in the past, whether it was like. 50% joking that's now kind of turned serious. Like, I I think Dig Trayvon, obviously, there's a reason he tweeted that. I'll just leave it at that, I think. I agree. There is a reason he tweeted it. And the reason is because he's a big idiot. Uh, I originally was where Carson was. Uh, but I think of all throughout history of family members and, you know, everything tweeting from sport events, it's all not, like, calibrated. It's all off the cuff. And they're all – and. He did not do Stefan any favors by saying the next morning that like Stefan made Josh. And I don't think that was a terrible look for him. I don't think that was as much of people were taking that more as a shot to Josh Allen. I don't think it was that. I think it was more defending Diggs, just being like, yeah, he was he was advocating Diggs. He wasn't, he wasn't, but but it came, it was, you know, it was the definition, literally the textbook definition of a ricochet shot. For sure. For sure. Arthy. I mean, no one knows him better than his own brother, so maybe he knows. He's. I hate to think that he's just speculating what's on, what's on his mind rather than reaching out to him and saying, you know, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings right now? So, and I would hope that there might have been a conversation, you know, outside of social media where, you know, Stefan, you know, over a text pulls him aside and says, hey, you got to calm that down right now because uh, things are as tenuous as it is. Um, I don't know. We shouldn't be concerned with injured players on other teams and what their feelings are. We should only be concerned with our guys in house. I hope Stefan Diggs has a media available this tomorrow. That's that's all I'm saying. Um, I, I want to hear I, because it's been it is silence is deafening. We didn't see a we haven't seen an Instagram story with Josh Allen or anything like that. Like so, maybe they did have a private conversation and everything else, but they've done things in the public before too. So um, I guess we shall see. But that's it for this show. We paid the bills. Thank you all. Thank you, you three, for joining. This has been a great time uh, getting our bills vent session out. I'll be back on Sunday believing. I, I, I'll be there and uh, just – I think they'll beat the Jets. I, I'll, be, I'll be ready to be heard again this Sunday for sure. Hey, there we go. Take all everything right. you know and just like uh, Sheldon Cooper in the gift, just throw <laughs> the papers up in the air. None of it matters. All those stats that you know, the week one through four and the week five through whatever cur- currently is, you just toss them out the window. We're going to start a whole new season next week, I think. That's true. It's a seven-week season at this point. Let's see how they roll it out. They got the yep. toughest schedule left. We're going to learn a lot about this team, in- good insert, or bad. Insert Michael Scott at the shareholders meeting. Uh, what was it? Six weeks, 60 points, or yes. like 90 days, 90 points. Yes. We're going to get this company around. <laughs> and, and limo lady? We're going carbon neutral. <laughs> That's Joe Brady. We should have that ready. If they have a big game, Joe Brady is 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 Michael Scott at the shareholders meeting. Hell yeah. That's what I love to hear. All right, but All right, we, we, we can't say anything boys. else. Yes. Have a good one, folks. Go Bills. Good night now.